All right, we're in Luke chapter 1. Can we go there quickly if we can, please? Just a quick background. I'm so glad God gave us the Bible, aren't you? The Bible is given to us for two reasons. Number one, to show us how we can know for sure when we die we're going to heaven. If you don't know that, you can know that. The Bible tells us how we can know for sure that we're forgiven. You don't have to wonder if you're going to spend eternity with God. The Bible tells you how to know that. I'll never forget the day someone explained it to me. It was after I went to a church service like this on a Sunday night. And later that evening, someone took the Bible and showed me how to be saved. And if you're here today, you're not sure. You're maybe in the balcony, maybe in the main floor, maybe my left or right. You may be a man or a lady, but you're not sure. If you have eternal life, you can know that before you leave today. And I want you to know it. Um, I'm so grateful to, to have found it out myself, and I'm grateful that anyone can know that. The second reason for the Bible is to show us how to live every day uh, after we get saved, how to live for Christ, what to do, what not to do, how to do it right, how to correct things I've messed up. The Bible leaves no stone unturned. It talks to us every in every point of even precept. That means these are commandments. God says, don't do this, do this, or in principles. Some things that he doesn't say exactly, don't do this. He tells us, here's the principle. Now apply it to your life and, and make your decisions that way. And God wants you to have not just life, but have life more abundantly. He doesn't want you just to live and exist. He wants you to have the abundant life. And that's, that's, that's in his DNA for you. That's what he wants. And what you and I do with the Bible will determine what God does with us. Well, the Bible is 66 books with one book inside. One book with 66 books inside. And uh, one of those books we're looking at today is the book of Luke. It was, it's one of the two longest books in the New Testament. And Luke was the author. He was a physician. He was a doctor. And uh, while he was in Jerusalem and near there, 60 miles from there, it looks like to me he did a lot of research. He interviewed a lot of eyewitnesses. He gives us the most detail of the early life of Jesus and what happened before Jesus came. He was the companion of a fellow named Paul. Paul, he would travel with Paul. Paul had, looks like probably, we're assuming, multiple physical issues. And so, so Luke would attend to him and possibly was financed by a guy named Theophilus. Things that we learned so far is, number one, if we have a gift for God, and we do when we're saved, use it for the Lord. Uh, Luke used his gifts. Theophilus, a lover of God, used his finances to support the work of the Lord. And all of us have something that God's made us good at. Use that for the Lord. Then we find we're introduced to a fellow named uh, Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. They, had, um, they, were, they were servants of the Lord. He was of the tribe of Levi, and he had a priest's responsibility. But the beautiful thing about this couple is they both live righteous in the sight of the Lord. It is wonderful when you find a man who loves God and loves his wife, and a wife who loves God and reverence her husband, and together they serve God in tandem. Now, let me just tell you, Satan hates that. This world has no interest in someone who wants to live the righteous life together. Marriage is a very challenging scenario. Why? Because it's God's idea. Satan fights it. Society fights it. And our own selfishness and sin fight it. But a beautiful thing, one of the biggest, most beautiful billboards for God in the world is a good marriage. 
Now, some of you would say, Pastor, I hate it when you say that because I'm not married, or I used to be, and I'm not married now, or I want to be, and it's not there yet for me, or my marriage has been wrecked by sin and divorce. Let me just tell you, wherever sin abounded, God's grace is greater than that. And we're not here to throw dirt at anybody. But I am telling you that God has a plan. And his plan is that two people would walk according to God's word and his commandments and his ordinances and do so with joy together. That's what he'd like. And that's kind of interesting about this couple. However, another thing we learned from them is they lived a lifetime in a righteous way, even though they had a great hurt that lasted for many, many years. And their hurt was they wanted a baby and they couldn't have one. She was barren. And even though she went through the difficult time of not being able to have children, there's very few pains, I think, quite as difficult as a lady who would like to have a baby and they can't have one. It's very difficult. The silence is deafening. The challenge, the yearning that God gave of maternal instincts, and they can't have them. And there are many ladies in the Bible, and there's many folks in this, in this room, precious ladies, who are in the same situation, but they did, it didn't keep them from doing the right thing. They kept on going, doing the right thing, and they gave responsible and committed to duties for the Lord, even though carrying a great void in their heart and a great burden in her life. But God did answer their prayer. They're old now. It's a miraculous birth. By now, that time of having a baby and conceiving a baby had come and gone, and they had accepted it. They had prayed earnestly for many years that God would give them a baby, but now those prayers are in the rearview mirror. They've accepted the fact that that's not God's plan for them. However, in his responsibility, the angel of the Lord comes to Zacharias. The angel is called Gabriel. Gabriel appears four times in her Bible, two times in this chapter, one time to Zacharias, another time to Mary, and then two times in the book of Daniel, in chapters 8 and chapter 9 of Daniel. You'll be able to see it there. He appears there to them, and he stands beside him in his place and says, hey, your prayer has been heard. He goes, okay, what prayer is I talking about? You're going to have a baby. Your wife's going to have a baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> But it wasn't a prayer he prayed yesterday. It was a prayer he prayed many years ago. And it teaches us that sometimes our prayers are answered in a delayed fashion. We need to keep praying and need to keep on trusting the Lord. Even if we don't understand or our God says no to our prayer or delays the prayer, we can keep on praying and trusting the Lord that he knows what's best. And that's what he did. And when we see the prayers were answered, then we see that he is pronounced he's going to have a boy. And they're going to name his boy John. John and Jesus, both of them, their parents didn't get to choose the name. Linda and I have had nine children. One of the more challenging things is sometimes picking a name. It's not so hard picking a name. It's just picking a name that your wife likes too. See, that's the problem right there. But we like them after we gave it to them anyway. So we all got that figured out. But, but I, we got to pick our kids' names uh, Zacharias and uh, Elizabeth, they didn't pick their child, child's name. God picked it for them. said, they're going to call this boy named John. And uh, he's going to bring you joy and gladness. By the way, if you're a son or a daughter, and all of us are, we should bring joy and gladness to those we call mom and dad. Even if they're not always the way they ought to be, you should bring joy and gladness to them and make it a lifetime goal that whenever my mom and dad think about me, they're going to have joy and gladness. 
They may not understand me. They may not agree with me, but they're gonna, I'm going to do my best to honor them. It's a biblical command. If you don't honor your parents, you're in violation to God's commandment. One command God gave to all of us, not just children, but to everyone, is to honor your mother and your father. And it's a lifetime responsibility, not as long as they're alive, but as long as you're alive, you have a responsibility to honor their memory, honor their person, honor their name. And to not do so is a challenging thing. Now, sometimes there's a lot of things the devil works hard at. He hates marriage. He hates manhood. We can see it throughout the scriptures. He hates man. He doesn't want a man to be a man. He wants a man to be a sissy. He wants a man to be more feminine. But uh, I will just tell you real quickly, that is not God's plan. God wants men to be men. He wants men to be engaged, but the devil wants them to be in loose. He wants them to be gentle, and the devil wants them to be abusive. He wants them to, to, be, uh, to be strong, inner man men, and the devil wants them to be addicted. He wants to get men angry, addicted, abusing, aloof, or even absent altogether out of the life of children, away from it. They're supposed to protect and provide. And oftentimes men are going around and, and not protecting anybody but their own interest. And they're going around saying, my name is Jimmy, take all you give me. Instead of providing somebody, they're, they're wanting everybody to provide. They have a sense of entitlement. I deserve this. No, you don't. You deserve to get out there and work. Be a, good, be a good protector, be a good provider, whether you're single or you're married. Uh, God wants, he hates, the devil hates manhood. God wants men. He loves marriage. So anything God makes, the devil wants to counteract. He wants to come at it again and, and attack it. And it's not unusual. But the Bible tells us here that Zacharias was going to have a little boy. And uh, he would bring joy and gladness. But we're going to take our message today from verse number 14. Would you look at that if you would please? The angel comes to Zacharias and he says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. I want to just remind you, boys and girls, moms and dads, anybody, remind yourself, one of my joys, one of my responsibilities in life is to bring joy and gladness to the people that brought me into this world. And uh, we should have joy of your, you, you should bring joy and gladness to your parents. And the way you'll do that is by exercising God's way of living, by living in a wise fashion. The Bible says that, a wise son makes a glad father. You want to make your dad glad? Live with, live with wisdom. Practice things God's way. I could tell you stories, but I think of one man in particular. He's a young man that grew up with me. His name is Jerry. And uh, Jerry's parents were not in agreement with Christianity. As a matter of fact, uh, Jerry had multiple siblings. And whenever he became a Christian and started living for the Lord, his parents... Uh, and his dad in particular really gave him the dickens, gave him a hard time. And he would make fun of him because he'd be at church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and midweek service. And he began to change his schedule and his attitude. But as time went on, Jerry, uh, and he would, he would, they would brag on his other siblings. And even though they were living in a derelict life to some extent, he would say, oh, why don't you drink a beer with me like your brother does? And he would, he, would have, he would be embarrassed. He would often be frustrated by his, by his dad's antics. As time went on, though, fast forward years of his consistency, his mom and dad fell in love with Jerry. And as a result of Jerry's life and testimony, if you were to talk to his mom and dad, his other brothers and sisters are not terrible people, but they didn't amount to, they, they might have made a little more money, but Jerry had a, life, a wife named Joy that loved him very much. 
He had a sweet testimony. And you sit by his dad, and I've seen his dad since that time. Now, all he wants to talk about is how Jerry's doing. Because Jerry, different than all of his other siblings, brought great joy and gladness to his mom and dad. And eventually was the reason his mom and dad accepted Jesus as their Savior. Because their life was loud. I want to encourage you to do that. Bring joy and gladness to your mom and dad. Look at verse number 15, if you would, please. And then we see some other attributes of John the Baptist. He said he's going to bring joy and gladness. Verse 15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. I want you to notice the second thing about John the Baptist. He was surrendered to the Lord. You know, what matters most is what God thinks about me, not what you think about me. Every once in a while, we get overwhelmed with what everybody thinks about us. You heard about when you're 20, you care about what people think about you. When you're 40, you stop caring about what people think about you. When you're 60, you wonder about, you, you find out that no one was thinking about you at all. <laughs> but you know, that's sometimes the way it is. But you know, you have nothing to prove and you have only one person to please. The Bible says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you have a decision to make, sir, ma'am, what you ought to ask yourself is, what does the Lord want me to do? What would be most pleasing to the Lord? The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We ought to do all those things that please him. That was said about Jesus Christ. He said, I do all those things that please the Father, John chapter 8 and verse 29. He said, whatever makes the Father happy is what I do. You know why he got baptized after, at, at, at the River Jordan? You know why he went in that water and got baptized? He knew the Father it would please the Father. You know why you should get baptized after you get saved? Because it pleases the Father. It's the right thing to do. Do everything that God wants you to do. Find out, and he won't, he won't play hide and go seek with you. He'll let you know what he wants you to do. He wants you to have faith. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. The Bible says the just shall live by so many things in life. You don't, you don't want to live by feelings. Someone put a little poem together. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. Our warrant should be the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. Though all our hearts should be condemned for want of one sweet token, there is one greater than our heart whose word cannot be broken. So go ahead and trust in God's unchanging word while soul and body sever. Though all things will pass away, at the end, God's word will last forever. Find out what the Bible wants you to do. One thing we love about John and the things that we can be like, John surrendered to what would please the Lord. He said he will be great in the sight of the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord or the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. You know, there are things that I do that you don't know, and there are things you do that I don't know, good and bad. But there is nothing I do that God doesn't know. There is nothing that you do that God doesn't know. You say, well, oh, I do some things anonymously. No, you don't. God knows everything. Psalm 139 reminds us, if you make your wings like you go into the space, God is there. If you make your bed in the middle of the earth, God is there. He said, if you go here or there, or no matter where you go, you can't go to a basement deep enough, and you can't go to a closet dark enough where God can't see you. God sees everything. The ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord. And the beautiful thing about John the Baptist is that he was great in the sight of the Lord. Sometimes we say to people, and we use the word great pretty loosely. Oh, he's a great ball player. You know? You know, what people think about me or you is not near as important as what God thinks about us. 
Matter of fact, the Bible tells us we, not, we should live not as men pleasers, but doing the will of God from our hearts. Why? Because the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He said, man looks on the outward appearance. That's one reason why we need to behave ourselves and live modestly and holy and do all the things we ought to do. Why? Because you represent the king. You represent the Lord. You have a testimony to give. But he said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And think, I think about John the Baptist. Number one, I should bring joy and gladness to my parents. Number two, I should live in such a way that I please the Lord with my life. That should be my goal. Then all things, I would just please him. When you have a problem, when you have a decision to make, you've got to say, what does the Lord want me to do? Find out what God wants you and just do it. Say, when my hair lift the, the Pope, just still do it. It might cause me problems in my family. If it's right, it's right regardless. We want to please the Lord. We want to please the Lord. Number, number three, we see here that he was great in the sight of the Lord and shall, neither, shall, shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Here, I think he was separated. We live in a world where alcohol flows like a river. It's ridiculous. It's promoted. It, you, can't, you can't watch a ball game. You can't, you can't watch a Hallmark film without promoting alcohol. You can't, you can't look at a, at a movie without it putting alcohol right on the front of everybody. Everybody's drinking now. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just common knowledge. And it's promoted. But let me tell you here, he said, look, you're not going to drink alcohol. John, And you're not going to drink alcohol. You're not going to drink strong drink. By the way, nothing good happens when people ingest alcohol. You ought to ask a lot about that. Ask Noah about that in the Bible. And, and if you want to find a verse or two that you think uh, is, is strong enough to substantiate your desire to drink alcohol, knock yourself out. But you keep reading the Bible and you'll find the overall opinion of God from Genesis to Revelation is to abstain from it altogether. You say, well, I think it's all right. That's my right. I can do what I want to. You can. You ought to go to a... I was in an emergency room this, this, uh, this uh, Thanksgiving night. I was on an emergency room a couple times last week or so. You go on an emergency room on a Friday night and Saturday night, see how much problems happen because of alcohol. See people holding their head. They got gashes. They got wounds without cause. They got trouble and challenges. Trying to deal with uh, precious ladies, men coming home drunk, hiding alcohol over the house, stumbling around, injuring themselves, injuring other people. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and I love it. I love it here that this guy was going to be separated from things that were counterproductive to his spiritual walk. And you say, well, Pastor, he just did that because he was a Nazarite. Then be a Nazarite. <laughs> Go get your hair cut first. And, you know. But, hey, do what you need to do. You know what we find here? He was, he was submitted and honoring his father and mother. He was doing that which is pleasing in the sight of the Lord, and he was separated. He wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. So I won't have any of that. I'd like to encourage you to be a separated Christian. I don't think you're going to go to heaven one day in a few days and stand before God and say, oh, I could have drank alcohol. I could have watched R-rated movies. No, no, no. You're not going to argue about that. You're going to be very happy you took the high road for the Lord Jesus Christ and live a separated life. And all through the Bible, you can see that God wants his people to live differently. He says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. He says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, you can't love flowers if you don't hate weeds. And you can't love God the way he needs to be loved if you want to fall in love with the world. 
The Bible says, through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddled with all wisdom. You want to live the wise life? You want to live a holy life? You're going to have to decide. I've got to cre- First of all, I have a desire to do it. Number two, you'll have to distance yourself from things counterproductive. When we're looking at alcohol here, but just find anything. Is it social media? Is it pornography? What is it that keeps you from having the relationship you ought to have with the God of heaven? Whatever it is, separate from it. Say, I want to be right with God rather than be okay with everybody else. He was a surrendered man. He was a separated man. He was a submissive man to his mom and dad and brought him great glory. Look at the next thing, if you would, please, in verse number 15. We find that John the Baptist, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. We find in verse number 17 also, if you'll look down there, you'll see 17, and he shall go forth in the spirit and power of Elias. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, everybody can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, whether you are a security guard or you play an instrument or you sing in the choir, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it's your fault. Nobody's fault. And you know what's amazing? The Bible says, be not drunk with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, when someone is drunk and you know them, you can tell. They don't act the same. Something's wrong. Sometimes they get mean drunks, and some of them, they're goofy drunks. They, at one time, they could walk straight. Now they can't walk they're all over the place. He said, you know, when, you, when someone's drunk, you can tell they're not acting normal. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you and I don't act normal. You don't get angry the same way you normally do. You don't respond in curt words. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, instead of, Hatred, you bring love. Instead of, of grudges, you bring forgiveness. Instead, of, instead of, uh, of selfishness, you become very generous. The Bible says there are nine attributes of a spirit-filled Christian. The first is love, then joy, then peace. Well, I wish I could get all those at Costco, don't you? They don't have them at Strack and Van Til's either. You can't get those things from a store. You get those from the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience with people that frustrate me, gentleness, not being harsh or unkind, goodness, that means generosity. The Spirit of God gets inside of me. I become much more generous and less greedy. God always condemns greed and selfishness. He always applauds and, and praises generosity and liberality. It's, a, it's an attribute of the Spirit of God. And then he says, temperance and faith and meekness. Those are three attributes that God gives people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why was John the Baptist so special? He brought joy and gladness to his parents. We find that, uh, that he, he, was, um, he was great in the sight of God. He pleased the Lord. He honored the Lord. He was separated from things counterproductive to to productivity and spiritual living. And then he was spirit-filled. The last thing that was special about John is he cared about turning others to the Lord. Look, if you would please, at the passage, and we'll conclude. Verse number 16, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Now, Elias is referencing Elijah back in the Old Testament. Would you read the rest of the verse with me? What will he do? To turn the hearts of the fathers 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people. I want you to notice real quickly, the last thing that John the Baptist would do, he would turn people to the Lord Jesus. He would turn people's hearts back to God. You know, the thing about Elijah and John the Baptist, they appeared on a scene that was very, very dark. Who was the king when Elijah showed up from the town of Kish? Ahab. Who was the queen? Jezebel. Ahab did more to provoke God to anger than any other king before him or after him. It was one of the darkest days in the nation of Israel when God brought Elijah on the scene. At this time, God had not spoken for 400 years. In 400 years since Malachi penned the last words of the Old Testament. 400 years since God's voice spoke. It was a dark day. And everything changed by one man, John the Baptist. Why was he so special? He honored his mom. He honored his dad. He brought them joy and gladness. You should do the same thing. You should say, Lord, please help me. He did that was right in the sight of God. Simple things that we can see right here in the Scripture. We find that he was separated. He abstained from alcohol and worldly ways of living. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And he turned other people to Jesus. You know what, friend? You can be like John the Baptist. If you're a girl of 14 or you're a senior citizen of 81, you ought to be like John the Baptist. Ought to bring other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can tell a society is going down whenever the fathers are disconnected from the children. And fathers are a huge role in society and fathers are under a major attack. When fathers struggle, the whole family has shockwaves and challenges. So I'm going to turn the, the children to their fathers and the fathers to their children. And I'm going to make a pathway so people can get back to the Lord. You know, every one of us ought to be a faithful soul winner. One of the reasons I think that uh, this uh, little flyer is so important, if I can find it. You know what you do when you hand someone a flyer? You're saying, Lord, I want to be used of you to turn someone to the Christ of Christmas. I may not only be one person, and they may not ever come, but they'll have, if they go to hell, they'll go to hell with the gospel on their hand. They'll have every chance to understand, okay, this is what I need to do. This is, someone's talking to me. I'll never forget, and I've shared this with you, but many times, one time I was, I was sitting down, I was giving a track out, I gave it to a guy, and he said, oh, he goes, I already have one. He goes, I got one in my wallet. He pulled out the flyer that I was going to give him, and he showed me in his wallet. I said, oh, that's great. He goes, I got another one. Someone else gave me another one. He said, I lay down at night, and I, I put it on the bottom of my shelf underneath my bed, and I read it every night. I said, oh, so you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? He goes, no, I don't know that. I said, could I share with you that? And that day, Tom Cavanaugh asked Jesus Christ to save me. I went through the gospel. You know, I never would have had that conversation or that story to tell you if two other people had not given him a gospel tract. Be used of God to turn other people to the Lord. It may be just a kind word. It may be a gracious moment. It may be gentleness. It might be meekness. It might be long-suffering when... Someone cut you off. It might be just a, a gospel track. Let's do what God wants us to do. Let's be like John the Baptist. I think there's attributes there that I could spend a lifetime trying to live up to what I just now read a few moments ago. Let's ask God to help us do the same.